0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Good morning, Epicos. Good morning, Epicos. There we go. Let's see, that's better. That's better. Um, I I did a poor job the first time, too. Um, My name is Ed, for those of you who don't know me, one of the pastors uh, here at Epicos. I am sharing the word of God with you. We are in Chapter Five today, and we'll be looking at verses nineteen through forty-seven. So, as you're turning, I'll just tell you a little story that uh, might be related to what we're going to see today. You know, uh, we before we got our Sherman Park location, we were in Obama High School which used to be Custer High School. And when it was Custer High School back in the 70s, I attended that high school and I ran track. And in one of our indoor meets, I ran the mile in four minutes and 23 seconds. And years later, I was talking to a friend of mine and we were just talking back and forth and he was a runner too, long distance runner. He could run forever and his heart rate would be at 64. I was like, oh man, I hate you. But anyway, um, as we were talking, I told him, yeah, I I ran a mile back in uh, 72 or 73. I can't remember which year it was, but it was either 72 or 73. I said, I ran it in four minutes and 23 seconds. He said, no, you didn't. It kind of floored me. It's like, what do you mean, no, I didn't? I was like, yes, I did. And so we went back and forth. No, you didn't. You couldn't have. And he came up with all these reasons why it was impossible for... Love you. Love you, too. <laughs> why it was impossible for me to run the mile in four minutes and 23 seconds. That conversation went on for a while because... That 4.23 meant something to me. And here this guy is, is like, you did not do it. I, well, I'm not sure. He's You didn't do it. So that conversation ended with him believing that I didn't do it and me having no proof. Because I didn't have a microfish right in front of me where I could go back and, and pull up the results. I just know that I ran it in that amount of time. I'm telling it to you. And it may be a fish story or it may not. But I know the truth. I just don't have any proof. And we have a similar situation in the scripture today as we move forward. To set the story up, if you remember from last week there was a pool by the sheep gate and Jesus healed an invalid at that pool on the Sabbath. Let me interject here. What's the Sabbath? It's a cessation. It's you ceasing. It's, it's, it's the cessation of activity. It's you stopping doing anything. And the Jewish leaders took that to the degree and they came up with all of these Old Testament regulations and rules. And what it really did is it became a burden on the people. And I've got a book of all these rules. I'm just going to just share a couple of them with you. If a chicken lays an egg on the Sabbath, you got to kill it for working. Unless you eat the egg. That's what I was waiting for. I got got one from somebody over there. (laughs) You could walk a thousand feet and it would not be considered work. But if you walked any longer than that, it was work. So if you went for a walk and you walked 501 feet away from home, you can't get back home. When I was a firefighter, a friend of mine, he was married to a Jewish lady. And you know we we only had one public phone, so he had to take turns. And it was his turn. He was on the phone. When he got off the phone, he came to me and he says, "Ed, I know I know you're a Christian, and I am too. My wife is Jewish, and just just something weird just happened. It's just really funny to me." He said she cooked all of her food yesterday, which was Friday, so that she didn't have to do any work Sunday. no I'm sorry Saturday but Saturday came and she noticed that she forgot to turn off the oven so she walked next door knocked on the door and asked her neighbor to come and turn the oven off for her so she wouldn't do any work that's the kind of stuff that the Sabbath had been turned into by these Jewish leaders anybody ever did that by the way? Call somebody else to turn your oven off? I mean, this, think about this. It took more work to walk next door and knock on the door than to just do that. But that would have been work to her because that's what she was told. Now, here's a controversy from last week. I, I, I hope you remember last week. They did not persecute the man who took up his bed and walked, the man who was Healed. They begin to persecute Jesus. Here's one reason why. Jesus had already healed somebody that was demon-possessed on the Sabbath day, and you can go and see that in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. So the Sanhedrin was already suspicious of Jesus, and they really had their eye on him. So when they confronted Jesus with this unlawful thing that you did, you healed this man by this sheep pool, he just simply replied, I'm just doing the work that my father is doing. They instantly understood the claim that he was making and they, cha- they changed their accusation from Sabbath breaking to blasphemy. Because Jesus claimed to be God. And the penalty for blasphemy in those days was death. This here is where the official persecution of Jesus began. And it ended in his crucifixion. You know, I mean, how dare he? Jesus making himself equal with God but he was making himself equal. with I'm not used to this. You you guys bear with me. He was making himself equal with God because he is God. This is the main theme of the book of John is to get the point across that we are learning about the God of heaven, the God who took on flesh and came down here to dwell among us, to live among us, And show us a better way. So verse 16 from last week says, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. How dare he turn off the stove? But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Verse 18 says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Listen at this part. Making himself equal with God. So let's look at verses 19 through 23 in today's passage as we move on. It says, so Jesus said to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these Will he show him so that you may marvel? For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So Jesus, Jesus says here, the Son, the Son is equal with God. And when we see him saying, truly, truly, what he's saying here is what I'm telling you is really important. My authority to do these things are real. I didn't just step off a banana boat and decide that I wanted to be in charge. The son only does what the father does. The son follows the father's example. The son is loved by the father. The son is the judge, impartial evaluation. So the son only does what the father does. He's saying, I am only acting out what I see the father doing. I am. I am mimicking my father. The son follows the father's example. Back when my uh, father uh, was alive and we were playing softball together in like a summer league, he would pitch the ball. You know, not like a, a little like this, but he would pitch the ball really high, like that. And so I started to doing the same thing. I started to mimic my father. This is what Jesus is saying here. I I mimic my father. The son is loved by the father. And then the fourth thing he says is the son is the judge. The son is the judge. He is simply saying here that I am an impartial evaluator. I don't judge Andrew a certain way because I like him and Jasmine a certain one because I don't like her. I'm impartial. Remember, I only do what I see the father do. So I follow his example, I mimic him, and I impartially look at everyone, including me, and my judgment is based on what I know my father would do. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24 says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 24 closes that first truly, truly. And it closes it with the word judge where this is not impartial evaluation. This is condemnation. He says, I'm an impartial judge, but I have the ability to condemn as me and my father sees the situation. So we're supposed to be preaching the truth. We're supposed to be helping people to live by God's law and to love and honor Jesus Christ. This means that you and I are under judgment. We are under impartial evaluation from someone who only follows the example of his father. And he has the ability after his impartial evaluation to condemn if necessary. And I think we live in a world where we have overlooked that. Let's look at verses 25 through 29 as we continue with this story. Truly, truly, I say to you. He he comes back with truly, truly again. I'm serious. You need to hear this. I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, Of judgment. So Jesus says, the Son has the authority to raise the dead. Verse 25 speaks about the physically dead, not, well, I know you're dead in your spirit, and you know, let's sing the Hallelujah trail and let's raise your spirits. He's talking about somebody who has actually physically died. We'll go back to verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. That's what he is referring to there. Jesus has authority over life and judgment, over my life, over your life. Everybody you know, he has the authority over your life And he can judge you as he sees fit. He is an impartial evaluator on your life. And he's not looking at you because I really, really like Andrew. Andrew's a great guy. But that Jasmine, I'm not so sure about her. Got a problem with her, so I'm going to judge her differently. He doesn't do that. He loves us all and he wants the best for us all, but he has to follow the example that he was given. He can bring you back to life to judge you. That's what he's saying. Does he want me to be afraid? Really, really afraid? Maybe so. But he for sure wants me to be aware. He definitely wants me to know who I'm dealing with. I'm telling with what God from heaven who took on flesh and came down here and lived on this earth as an example. So him knowing this, his conversation, he calls on a life of integrity. I, I, I read straight through it so that you wouldn't get it. So I know you didn't get it. But back in verses 28 and 39, just listen, listen to this again, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, life of integrity. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So who do you think gets to decide what's good and what's evil? God does. So we live in a world in 2021 where so many things have been changed that everything is great. But it's always safest to go by his evaluation. Open your Bible, read it, and what it says, stay as close to that as you can. Because our world does everything it can to erase God and to make black white. Make yellow, blue. Make green, red. Anything opposite of what God says. And we're human, so sometimes we fall for it. But I implore you to love and honor and respect Jesus enough to follow after his word. Remember when he said, Lazarus, come forth. It's been said that he said his name so that nobody else would wake up until time. He has that kind of power to wake up everybody, but he specifically said, I only want Lazarus, just you. You wake up. That's impressive. That's also scary. Because the son has the authority. In his authority... The son only does what the father does. Let me just listen to this again. He only does what the father does. The son follows the father's example. The son is loved by the father. The son is the judge. So the son of God has equal authority with the father. And then verse 30 says, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is the son of God. He switched from the son to I. Jesus has accepted the role of judge. And he doesn't judge on his own. He doesn't make up rules as he goes. He judges as he hears from his father. So now, for you and for I, the question of his authority is personal. Did he run the mile in 423 or not? You have to decide that now. Did he or didn't he? He's saying he did. He looks like he really believes he did, but did he really do it? Is he really... Who he says he is. In my case, it was me sitting with my friend and it was me trying to convince him. It was me alone. I didn't have anything else to prove my case. If I had had the newspaper clip, I could have said, look, there it is right there. This was 12, 13 years later. Maybe more. I, I, I just really don't remember. But I didn't have anything to back up what I was saying. The difference here, is Jesus brings in witnesses to support his claim. Look at verse 31. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. I'm telling you, I ran the mile in four minutes and 23 seconds. (laughs) But, But I'm not telling you that if I alone give testimony, that is not true. It's true, I did. But I'm alone, so there's no real reason for you to believe me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. I'm not boasting about myself. I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm not pumping myself up. He says, there's another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So he brings in three witnesses, and for the first witnesses, he said to them, you went to my first witness. Verse 33 says, you sent to John, and he was born witness to the truth. Jesus is not making this claim because he says a man can validate what I'm saying. It's just that you went to this man, and you trusted and believed him, and he spoke about me. So my first witness is somebody that you guys went to. The second witness is the things that he did, starting in verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. You went to John because you trusted John. So that's my first witness. I have a witness even greater than that. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish... The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. If somebody came in here and turned water into wine, what would you think about that? Nothing? Would that just be an everyday occurrence? Or is that like a miracle that only somebody with some power can do? What about casting out demons? What about instantly healing an invalid? You know, we, I can turn water into wine. You can too. But it's going to take some time. I can't say, pour in water, now go get the wine. I I can't do that. Everything Jesus did was instant so that you could see that there's something different about this man. There's something special about him. There's something miraculous about this Jesus. Then he goes on and he gives his third witness, the father. And starting in verse 37, it says, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one he has sent. So my question to you, I'm talking to you and you, and me too, have you heard his voice as you go through your daily life? And somebody on TV or a book that you read tells you this or tells you that or you see this or you see that or you think this way or think that way. You have a conversation with a friend and you're just pouring out all these different ideas and these different thoughts on, on life and, and the way the world should look and the way it should run. Have you heard his voice? so that you could be like Jesus and you can only do what the Father does. You can only follow after his example. And here's why you should. Because the Father loves you. He loves you and he only wants the best for you. Jesus has met the requirements. Two or three witnesses They talked with John the Baptist. They knew of his miracles, but Jesus said they didn't hear the voice of the Father. Okay, why not? Because his word, they didn't allow his word to produce faith in their hearts. Let's look at verses 39 and 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. These very scriptures that you're looking through, they're talking about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus just told them that for you to have life, you've got to come to me. Not you got to come to the Bible. Not you got to come to church. No, come to church. Come to church. But come to church because you have him. Not because I showed up in the building so I'm all right. It has never worked that way. and never will work that way. You need Jesus in your life. You know, with them knowing the word of God, was a really high priority, but there was no priority for them to know the God of the word. They only even wanted to know the word. There was something wrong with their minds. There was something wrong with their will. There was something missing. They had no love in their hearts. Verses 41 through, through 44, let's look at those. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. They did not love God. They did not love people. They refused to accept his witnesses. Why? Because there's no way that he could run the mile in four minutes and 23 seconds. There's just no way he could do that. I refuse to believe it. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. I refuse to believe it. So since they are refusing to believe, by the way, show your hands high for anybody who refuses to believe that I ran them out in four minutes 23 seconds. Come on, raise them high. Okay, I want to talk to y'all after church. (laughs) So since they wouldn't believe, Jesus warns them of how it will end. Let's look at verse 45, 46 and 47. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? Because he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Remember, not the Lazarus I talked about earlier, but Lazarus and the rich man... And the rich man, when he saw that it was true, is like, please send me back so I can warn my brothers. And he says, no, they won't believe Moses. They won't believe somebody that comes back from the dead. Moses spoke about Jesus. This is somebody that you honor. This is somebody that you trust. You bank all your laws on the law of Moses. But this person spoke about me. Here's what we need to do. Examine our own personal lives and examine our life in the church. Has the church become a synagogue where we have our rules set up and Jesus' stuff can stay outside? You know the letter to the seven churches where it says, I'm knocking, I'm, I'm, I'm knocking. I want you to open the door and let me in. He is asking for us to open the door to our hearts But he is the ruler of this church, not you, not me, not him, not anybody in here, nobody. We have to take a step back. We have to be more humble in who we think we are and understand that there is one that is in charge and it is Jesus and it is not, it's not Ed Wade, not in charge of anything. So a question that I would ask is, does religious tradition blind you to the word? And that you goes for anybody. It goes for me. I have to ask myself that all the time. Clear your mind. Humble your will. Open your heart to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God of God. If you haven't already, receive him as your Lord and Savior. That's what he calls for. Is that you would bend the knee. Any Game of Thrones? Good, good. Okay, y'all got to watch it. Bend the knee to him. Allow him to be Lord over your life. Because right now, he is an impartial evaluator. But there will come a time when he will be a condemner. And when he becomes the condemner, I don't want him to see me in that category. If you have not yet done so, whoever you may be. I don't know everybody in here. I can't see everybody in here. But I do know that I'm not going to assume that everybody has it all right. I don't. Receive him as your Lord and Savior today. Trust in him. With your will, with your heart, with your mind. Believe him for who he says he is. Trust his story. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he only does what the Father does. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, you are worthy to be praised. We do praise your holy name. We lift you up. We humbly accept your son as king of kings and lord of lords. Only he has salvation. So his authority comes from you. Father, we thank you for the love that you show us, for the patience that you have for us. We thank you for your word. We pray that our hearts were open to receive your truth and that it has made a difference in our lives. Father, we trust that you will continue to guide our lives, that you will continue to love us and be patient with us and show us mercy we cherish who you are. And in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.